0: Hello everyone and welcome. This is probably one of my very favorite Sundays of the year, fall forward. And no matter where you stand on the issue of daily savings time, and some of you have some very, very deep-seated opinions, it's still nice just to have an extra hour of sleep. Kevin is not broadcasting this morning because his dad contracted COVID over a week ago. So Kevin went to Northern Idaho to support him in his recovery. We are all praying for you, Fred. If you think of it, reach out to Kevin and offer him your support. At the beginning of every time together, we remind you that Resonate is a community that loves like Jesus, and everything we do is geared in that direction. Jesus' love is real, tangible, and life-altering if you let it be. We desire for your time with us that you feel our love, you feel your worth, and you experience Jesus afresh. Today, we are continuing our sermon series, Relationship Rescue. And this week, we are focusing on conflict resolution and reconciliation. We heard an overview on how to listen from Pastor Kevin and also why we hide from Pastor Becky. But now it's about conflict resolution and reconciliation. How to engage in conflict and come together on the other side in unity. Our passage today is from 1 Corinthians 13, 4-7. This is a pretty well-known passage from the Bible. If you've ever gone to a wedding, no doubt, there is some variation of it read. Paul writes, Love is patient. Love is kind. It isn't jealous. It doesn't brag. It isn't arrogant. It isn't rude. It doesn't seek its own advantage. It isn't irritable. It doesn't keep a record of complaints. It isn't happy with injustice. But it is happy with the truth. Love puts up with all things, trusts in all things, and hopes for all things, endures all things. I could have chosen a lot of passages from the Bible about conflict, and we are going to talk about quite a few of them, but honestly, scripture and most of human history does not produce a good example of conflict resolution and reconciliation that doesn't end in abandonment, destruction, war, and death. Humanity's instinctual reflex is not to resolve because resolution is vulnerable humble, gentle, kind, continual conflict resolution is, in its very essence, love. Our instinctual reaction is guarded, hubris, asserting power, and is really, really mean. We went through Ray Dalio's book called Principles at our Thursday morning men's group. And one of the principles that we talk through is that we always have two selves battling inside of us. Dalio calls us the battle of your two, Y-O-U-S. Use your two use. Extremely simplified neurologically, the amygdala and the prefrontal cortex. We will talk more about this later, but the first case I want to make is that it is not instinctually human to really do conflict resolution. We would much rather hide, flee, or fight. It can, however, be the habit that we develop over time with intentional hard, intentional hard work and practice. You may have heard it said to wherever you have read the word love in the passage to put your name in there, like, Jake is patient, Jake is kind, he isn't jealous, he doesn't brag, Jake isn't arrogant, etc. But the problem is that Jake isn't this way. That would be nice, and I want to get there. But not yet, and but how? There's been a saying going around for a while now, be a peacemaker, not a peacekeeper. And we recently went through the sermon series on the Beatitudes, where this comes from. It reads, happy are the people who make peace because they will be called God's children. Peacemakers are those who are willing to, who are peacekeepers are those who are willing to just sweep issues under the rug in order to live peacefully. You may have heard this platitude that it really doesn't matter just so long as we're all together but it really does matter. Peacemakers are those who dig into the real issues and establish lasting real peace. It echoes the marching slogans of no justice, no peace. We also heard it said is be a peacemaker in the church for so long that it really lost its meaning and impact. And since the book was published over 20 years ago, I'd say that not much progress has been seen or made in to reconcile this world together. I want to turn our focus to a different scripture when dealing with conflict. Paul writes in 2 Corinthians 5, to 19 All of these new things are from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ, who gave us the ministry of reconciliation. In other words, God was reconciling the world to himself through Christ by not counting people's sins against them, He has trusted us with this message of reconciliation. So we are all ministers of reconciliation. There's a lot of action there than just peacemaker. It's about going out and searching for the hurt that we may have caused. I recognize that reconciliation has a bigger connotation than just human-to-human relationships, but also human to creation and human to God. We are going to start small, so let's center our conversation about human-to-human relationships. For human-to-human relationships, I want to give you three tasks to work toward being a Minister of Reconciliation and Conflict Management. Task one is this, work on yourself. The first point in being a Minister of Reconciliation is to work on yourself first. More often than not, we are solely focused on what the other person is doing wrong, that really miss, what we have done wrong in our own lives. Jesus says in Matthew 7, 1 through 5, don't judge so that you won't be judged. You'll receive the same judgment you give. Whatever you dealt out will be dealt to you. Why do you see the splinter in your eyes and your brother's eyes or sister's eyes, but you don't notice the log in your own eye? How can you say to your brother or sister, let me take the splinter out of your eye when there's a log in your own eye? you deceive yourself first take the log out of your own eye and then you'll be you'll be able to see clearly enough to take the splinter out of your brother's or sister's eye when we look at another person and nitpick every little detail to what they're doing to the point that they become more their mistakes than their person we set the stage for unnecessary conflict what Jesus is talking about here is that when we deal with our problems and all of us have them we can deal with our neighbor's issues with compassion and grace. In the Arbinger's Institute book, The Anatomy of Peace, Resolving the Heart of Conflict, they talk about being in the box as the root of all conflict. In your box, you have familial dysfunctions, experiences of trauma and hurt, and your own thinking paradigms that make you stuck and unable to seek resolve with another person. To get out of the box is to listen, to respect, and to turn that which we horribleize into human. The book is a great read if you have the time. It's all narrative, so it's easy to get lost into the story, and the points then really hit you hard. Arbinger's model of resolve, con- resolving conflict is to gain rapport with another, another individual so that we help things go right all the time, and we only re- rare, very rarely deal with things when they go wrong. The gospel story is that Jesus came to make me a whole human. When we work on ourselves and renew our minds, as Paul writes in Romans 12, he writes, don't be conformed to the patterns of the world, which I will coin the limbic system, but be transformed by the renewing of your minds. When we also see that Jesus came to make our neighbors whole humans as well, we can begin to seek resolve In all of our conflict based on that truth. Task two, apologize and forgive and do it well. The second task is to learn to apologize and forgive and I'd say that the first person that you need to learn to apologize to and especially forgive is yourself. This is much harder than it is hokey. We do not belong to a culture that has a healthy view of apology. Stereotypically, Girls are taught to apologize for everything, and boys are taught that to apologize is weakness. I am taking this from Ken Sandy's book, where he writes on apologies. To apologize is to validate, get on the same page in disagreement, and to begin to reinstate rapport in a relationship. It's never to weaponize or manipulate the receiver into believing that they are still wrong in an argument. I'm sorry you feel that way. Is not an apology. Nor is an apology a platform to which to justify your own behavior or to make yourself feel better, as this apology. I'm sorry this happened, but blank. This is an apolo- this is an apology. I'm sorry I made you feel blank. Or I'm sorry I did blank. Or I'm sorry I said blank. You see, it's better to be kind than to be right. Because honesty, honestly. The truth of the situation is only applicable in a courtroom. What is most important and more important is humanizing the other person enough that their lived experience of you is of utmost importance to you. This is apology. Then we have forgiveness. Right at the beginning of COVID, we did a series on Desmond Tutu's and Infa Tutu's book, The Book of Forgiving. In this, they talk about the fourfold path to forgiveness. These are the steps admitting the wrong and acknowledging the harm, telling one's story and witnessing the anguish, asking for forgiveness and granting forgiveness, renewing or releasing the relationship. Step one, admitting the wrong and acknowledging the harm, is that of true apology, admitting truthfully what was done and expressing you that you have full understanding of the damage to that person that you have done it to. This is how we humanize someone. If you are the one being apologized to, this is a good time to do some soul searching to see how you may have wronged the aggressor in some way and reciprocate the apology. Step two is telling one story and witnessing the anguish is about listening to that person's full experience of the pain that you or another person has caused them. It is not time to fact-check them or one-up their story. It is time to sit with them in awkward empathy that you have caused this hurt, that you experienced this hurt. If you were the one telling your story, this is not a time to hurt the other person now that you have feel empowered. It is time to be truthful with yourself, but let the truth do the talking, not attacking. Step three is asking for forgiveness and granting forgiveness. And it's probably the hardest step of all, because it's not a step, but a journey of a whole lifetime of allowing yourself to release the hurt, the pain, guilt and shame that you have cleaved to inside of you. It's time to start living again. Forgiveness is an internal and personal reaction. You can grant forgiveness to allow the other person to begin to heal as well. But most of all, forgiveness is work done on your own heart inside. And step four in the fourfold path is renewing or relation the relationship is the kicker. We do not need to set ourselves up for the same pain over and over again. That is the definition of crazy. We can try the relationship again, we can set up boundaries and make the relationship much different, or we can just let the relationship go and release them. Each of these options are real, true, and good. They just need to be communicated clearly to all parties. Not communicating your intention and relationship when you are able to do so can be abusive. Jesus summarized all of his teaching in what we call the Lord's Prayer. In Matthew's version, it reads like this. Our Father who is in heaven, uphold the holiness of your name. Bring your kingdom so that your will is done on earth as it is done in heaven. Give us this bread we need today. Forgive us for the ways we have wronged you, just as we also forgive those who have wronged us, and lead us not temptation, but rescue us from the evil one. If you forgive others their sins, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you don't forgive others, neither will your Father forgive your sins. Notice the multiple times Jesus talks about forgiveness. Other times he talks about turning another cheek, or Another time when he's asked how many times should someone forgive someone else, he responds responds basically, forgive them no matter what. I think Jesus says this because he has emotional intelligence to know that forgiveness is self-work and self-healing. And when we don't forgive ourselves or each other's, we will lead miserable, miserable lives. I know that I have been in lots of conflict. Some of you I have been in conflict with this week. So those not here or listening, I have been in conflict with for years now. I do not like or thrive on or in conflict. It begins to wear the soul down. There is only thriving in forgiveness. What would happen if the world sought forgiveness rather than retribution? The third task of ministers reconciliation is that of validating emotions. This is a very difficult space for many of us, especially those of us geared more towards Stoicism, albeit it is a very important and probably the most humanizing task that you can do in a relationship. I have a hard time not expen- explaining or defending or dismissing when I am faced with emotions that are targeted at me. Something I have been, that has been very helpful in my own self discovery and learning, which I will share with you this morning, is published by Psychology Today. And you can Google it, an article will come up. It's titled, Formula for Providing Emotional Support. The author, Dr. Jennifer Preem, gives her formula as explicit and implicit validation. Explicit validation means not giving advice unless asked to give it. It means using statements like, it must feel blank to have someone do or say that to you, or what I hear you say is blank, or is it true that when this happened to you, you felt blank, and tell me more, and even, I understand how you would feel this way. What about the situation do you think is the most hurtful or upsetting? Implicit validation is what we do with our bodies when someone is expressing their emotions. It looks like good eye contact, making sure your body orientation is leaned in and open, using active listening cues like nods, and maybe even putting your hand on their shoulder or holding their hand. All of these seek to give the lived experience of another more validity. It means working on yourself so that you are able to listen without judgment, advice, or distraction. Notice the compassion that Jesus expressed after his friend Lazarus died in John 11, 33-36. It reads, When Jesus saw her crying, and the Jews who had come with her crying also, He was deeply disturbed and troubled. He asked, Where have you laid him? And they replied, Lord, come and see. And Jesus began to cry. The Jews said, See how much he loved him. The three tasks of a minister of reconciliation again are, work on yourself, apologize, forgive, and do it well. Validate emotions. I want to end In the retelling of one of the oldest stories in the Bible. It's the story of Sodom and Gomorrah. We've been taught a certain reason that these cities were destroyed. It's always been that their inhabitants performed homosexuality or bestiality instead of the natural order of things handed down by God. The more I study this text and other writings centered around this event, the more I am compelled to believe that it wasn't about sexuality or acts at all, but about hospitality, the people who lived in these cities were afraid of the outsider and did not give them shelter nor food. They were inhospitable. And when we read the first five books of the Old Testament, referred to as the Torah, we often see the theme of hospitality come out house the sojourner, feed the traveler, leave the periphery of crops to the gleaners, clothe the naked, and provide Sabbath rest so that even the poorest didn't have to work one day a week to survive. The people of Sodom Gomorrah were afraid of the outsider, be it nationalism or xenophobia. We are not quite sure what they were afraid of, just that they didn't open themselves up to receive. And it was because of this, they were afraid to open up that they were destroyed. And I hope you can see the metaphor here. Reconciliation is the act of hospitality opening your mind, body, and to hold the other person, not in righteousness and rightness or wrongness, but as a person. It all comes down to this, hospitality of our neighbor. So resonate, and our listeners, may we seek this type of hospitality and see reconciliation of all relationships around us. Let's pray together. God, grant us peace, grant us hope in, our relationships, in relationships around us that you will heal us, that you will help us reconcile, that you will open our hearts for the learning, the journey of forgiveness of ourselves and each other. We pray for the world to be changed through love and through Jesus. And in his name I pray. Amen.